The Greg Scheinman Podcast is brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. And also, Rose Studios, endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. Visit rosestudios.com for more information. On the Greg Scheinman Podcast today, we have Aaron Lyons. Aaron is the founder and owner at Dish Society Restaurants. But if you ask him, he'll tell you he is really in the leadership development business, and you guys will hear all about that later on in the show. Aaron's in the process of opening the third location of the popular farm-to-table restaurant in Houston and continuing to bring each location closer to his original vision. He is committed to building and empowering a support team around him that's going to help him achieve his goals, and I was super impressed with Aaron's openness during our conversation about the challenges he has faced becoming a leader and being able to take an idea that started back in business school through years of development and ultimately execution. It was a great candid conversation that brought out a lot of the realities of being an entrepreneur in the weeds, so to speak, and I found it very relatable and inspiring, and uh, I hope you do as well. So here's Aaron Lyons on the Greg Scheinman Podcast. It's great to have you here. I have wanted to sit down and talk to you for, for a while since I first tried Dish Society and first heard a little bit about you guys, um, and, and I'm glad you could take the time to to be here. A little bit of a... Yeah. Where did the the inspiration for Dish Society come from? Uh, so for me, I had never um, worked in a restaurant. I'd never really been around restaurants other than as a as a patron. Um, always been an entrepreneur my whole life, and uh, you know, for me, uh, I've always been into to healthy eating and and fitness and things like that. Uh, played sports my whole life. You know, just about sort of a healthy lifestyle. Grew up in Austin. Um, and I was uh, after I got out of college, I was working for a consulting firm, and I was traveling all over the country, uh, literally eating out every single meal. Um, was only home in Dallas for a day or two before I would hit the road again, and so I never grocery shopped. I didn't cook or anything like that. So I was literally eating out every meal, and because I was kind of conscious of what I was putting in my body, uh, I paid attention to you know, um, ingredients, where they were coming from, things like that. And I just found it very difficult to find sort of what I wanted and what I was looking for in a more of a convenient sort of approachable, you know, manner. Um, didn't want to have to valet, didn't want to have to tip, didn't want to have to spend $36 on grilled chicken and vegetables and a salad or something like that. Um, so, you know, and I saw some really cool concepts on the East coast, West coast, parts of the United States where I was traveling and I just really felt like no one was kind of tying it all together um, in a way that made sense. And so I was living in Dallas at the time, uh, and I knew I was going to go back to business school to get my MBA. Um, so I went back to, to University of Texas, um, MBA, pro, MBA program. They're one of the top for entrepreneurship. Um, and I used that time to really like incubate my idea. Wrote the business plan in one of my entrepreneurial classes. Did a lot of research. Um, won some business plan competitions and uh, ultimately started reaching out to potential investors and real estate folks and things like that and putting this whole thing together. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of hit hit the wall. I mean, I think the thing I, I underestimated the most was the real estate component of it. Um, I thought, well, hey, you know, it's just like if you're going to get an apartment, you just show up. And if they've got one available, you sign up and, you know, as long as you don't have bad credit, whatever. Uh, and that's not how it works. And um, 
So there was a lot of obviously Austin's very popular and it's also very small and there's there's a lot of folks all, all over the country that that are trying to open restaurants in Austin and uh, I just couldn't compete with them on paper um, you know in the mix for some of these really top class A properties so I had my broker start looking in Dallas and Houston ultimately we found our first location uh, that we opened in Houston a couple years before it actually opened it was still just kind of dirt and concrete at the time um, so we sort of waited that out and ultimately uh, opened three years ago this week actually uh, January 2014 and um, then about a year later, we opened our second location, and we're starting construction on our third right now, and about to sign a lease on our fourth. So, um, really starting to get into the to the groove. That's that's amazing. So, happy anniversary! Thank for, you. First off, thank you. Tell me about that time period, kind of also from from idea to, to execution. You know, you have that time period where you're committed to the idea, you've written the business plan, you've gotten some awards on the business plan, you're feeling good about it, but now you, you kind of mentioned almost like a three year period between yeah. that feeling of, of I'm going all into this and being able to actually get up. Tell me about that. It was that tough. time period. Yeah, that was brutal. Um, and I think that's in, in, in sort of I'll, I'll end that that answer on why that's why I think most people give up. But, um, so I, you know, I, I quit my job to go to business school full time. I was in business school, extreme amount of student debt. Um, I, I was started dating my, my now wife around that time, right before I moved, we met in Dallas. Um, and so she moved down to Austin and so we were living together. I graduated, we got married right after I graduated. And, um, I was picking up some projects here and there. I was kind of ghostwriting business plans in the background to make extra money, doing some sort of consulting. I had worked uh, for a startup accelerator, so I, I did a lot of um, you know, funding and deal screening and things like that for, for that. And so I knew a lot about startups and investing and, and a lot of that. So I sort of helped out in the Austin community with that. I was pretty plugged in. Um, but I wasn't making any money and it was just kind of this waiting game. So for two years in business school, no paycheck and a ton of debt. And then for about two and a half years after business school, no money. Cause when we opened the first restaurant, I didn't take a paycheck for you know eight months. Uh, and, and, and I had to, because my wife was pregnant and she had to leave her job to have the baby. And so we had, had something had to, you know, I had to start <laughs> contributing, um, but you know it was tough. I, I was I was getting you know I probably met with over a hundred potential investors and got told no a lot more than I got told yes. And same with the real estate. And I just kept hitting wall after wall after wall. Uh, and it was difficult. It was, it was a struggle. Um, and uh, there was definitely times where I thought you know I, I need to be smarter about this or you know I'm putting now my family in jeopardy or my relationship in jeopardy and. You know, living off of a, a single income for four and a half years is you know pretty is pretty tough, and it was hard on my wife, and it was just hard on us in general. And um, you know, there's just a couple there's a couple of like pivotal moments along the way that really like opened doors and and sort of broke down the walls to get us to where we needed to be. And, and you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I think the, it, it took longer than it maybe I wanted it to, but all for, all for the best. Because I think had I there was there were some opportunities that I kind of passed on or, or, you know, didn't, you know, didn't take, didn't take advantage of, and I think looking back on it now, had I done that, I, I don't think we would be in business right now. So, um, 
you know, I think it was all sort of meant to be and, and it, it all kind of happened, but I, it was tough. I mean, it was really, really tough. You know, I've got all my friends from business school, huge signing bonuses, working for investment banks and consulting firms, making tons of money, going to Cabo and Vegas and traveling and, you know, um, buying new cars, buying houses, you know, all of those things. And, and I'm not, I don't even make any money. I'm, I'm, I'm worse off than I was before business school. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was, it was tough. I had a lot of people kind of, why are you doing this? Why restaurants? Why? Like you're crazy, you know? And, uh, you know, I just stuck with it and I sort of just ignored it, put blinders on to a lot of those distractions and stayed focused on it. And, uh, you know, you just, you kind of got to wait for one or two dominoes to fall. And, and I knew that. And so I just kind of kept pushing and, and it ultimately happened. So, but it was tough. So that gets me to, to passion and, and commitment in, in that because they're asking you why restaurants. Yeah. And then I'll ask you why restaurants <laughs> as well. Yeah. Well, so I, I, I never grew up. I never, even in like college, I was like, oh, I'm, I never thought, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to open my own restaurant. Uh, you know, a lot of people that open restaurants, that's been their dream for, you know, for forever since they started bussing tables or washing dishes at a restaurant. I, I want to own my own restaurant. One day. That wasn't me. That was, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I had a company in college that I sold. I worked for some tech startups. Um, I've just been very, engaged in a lot of that stuff and for me it was about I, I want to find something I'm passionate about and 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 look coming out of business school sort of with my experience I could be doing something a lot less risky and making a lot more money kind of currently um, if I would have taken a different route maybe a more predictable sort of route um, but I just I wasn't going to be happy you know when I was doing consulting I wasn't I wasn't happy. Like I, I was like never going to be, I never wanted to be partner of the, like I that just didn't, none, none of that was ever interesting to me. Um, and so restaurant, I mean, food and, and, you know, kind of healthier food. And that was, I'm very passionate about that. And I was very passionate about the idea of building a brand. And that's sort of what I told people was that, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not starting a restaurant. I'm starting a brand. Um, and that's the way that I looked at it. And I was very passionate about, you know, branding and, and starting a, a concept that I thought was that I could grow and scale, um, something that, you know, dealt with local economies and, and just a lot of those things. It was all very interesting to me and, and very passionate. And, um, I, I will never do anything that I'm not passionate about. And so, um, that's, that's how it was. I just kind of stumbled into it. And, and it's kind of funny. I, if you would have told me in high school or even college that I would get into the restaurant business and even end up being in Houston, kind of like we were talking about earlier, I, I would have been like, no way, you know, I was taking the under for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that, that's it in a nutshell. I just, I felt like, look, no one's doing this. Like somebody's got to do this. This is, this is going to be big. This is, you know, in 2005, when Chipotle went public and you start to f see fast casual start to emerge as, as a, the only segment in the restaurant industry that was growing. Everything else was shrinking. Everything was contracting, but fast casual, you know, people wanted a little bit higher quality of food. They wanted it quick. Um, they wanted to know that they, what they were eating was, was good for them. And you saw that, um, in the success of those types of brands. And so, so I really saw that. And in Austin, you know, look, there's a lot of farm to table restaurants. Like, like everybody is just kind of farm to table. Right. But I look at Houston and, and, you know, in 2000, probably 12 when I started researching the market, I didn't even live here and I was, you know, looking for locations. So I hadn't spent a lot of time here. Didn't really have any family here or anything. I, there's no reason to come here for me, um, other than just to visit or whatever. So I started looking at the market and, you know, look for, for asking people, Googling it, looking, doing research, farm to table restaurants it was underbelly and Oxart. That's it. 
I mean, that was it. Were you going to eat at those places two or three times a year, maybe, right? Once a year? So where would you go if you just wanted to do that, if you wanted to eat somewhere like two or three times a week, you know, and, and not have to spend a hundred bucks. And so that was, that was sort of eye opening for me that there was just this gaping hole in the market here. There was a couple of concepts that were just very early on that are, that are, have since grown, um, you know, uh, when I was looking at it, but there was really nothing. And I just felt like I, I could, um, really build a strong brand here and a brand that would scale into other markets and transfer well. You know, it's certainly one thing to see a void in the marketplace and say, okay, farm to table or or this concept I think can really do well here. It's it's another thing to execute it. And and you talked about building building a brand and wanting Dish Society to, to stand for something. What what is that brand? I mean, if you had to define that brand, what is, what is the brand? If I say, okay, I should try Dish Society. You yeah. know, what what am I th- what am I feeling? I think a lot of words come to mind. I think um, you know, I, at, at first, this concept was very healthy, right? Like everything was. It was almost like Snack Kitchen, but you know, or My Fit Foods or something like that, but like more of a with a restaurant component, and it and it evolved into. Um, you know, good food that's, it's made with good ingredients. You know, not everything's like super healthy, right? We have like mac and cheese and French toast and things like that. It's not all healthy, but it's all made with like really good quality stuff. Um, so you can feel better about that. Even our sodas are organic, so it's still not great, but it's better than sort of the processed Mm -hmm. stuff. But I think from a brand perspective, it's just, you know, I think of a, of a cool place, an approachable place, a place where you can get good food, um, consistent, um, and, and, and I would say kind of always like one step ahead of what, what's going on. Um, you know, we do change our menu seasonally. Uh, we do offer sort of unique takes on things. I think Houston, uh, for being as large of a city as it is, is very behind on a lot of things, especially, I mean, if you travel, if you go to other cities, you go to the East Coast and West Coast, you'll see things that you're not going to see in Houston for probably another five years. And uh, I like to think that we're sort of trying to bridge that gap a little bit. We pay attention to the trends and what's going on. But but building a place where you can go for breakfast, lunch, dinner, hang out. You can go read the paper. You can meet somebody there. You can take your wife there, go on a first date there. Um, just sort of building that really cool neighborhood restaurant feel is, is really what the goal is. No, we're certainly certainly glad you're, you're here. I mean... You're, you're hitting the nail on the head in, in a lot of areas, and I'll just say, look, for, for myself personally, as somebody who really cares about food and eating quality food, not always eating perfectly, right. because you've got that balance uh, you know, in there, and you want to eat with other people, and you don't want to always call <laughs> yeah. out that specialty item you yeah, know, that, yeah. or do something different, but you know, somebody that, that is constantly looking for good ways to eat, quality ways to eat, whether I'm with my wife, whether I'm by myself, whether I'm with my kids or, or friends, you know, I think you... You nailed it, you know, in in, in that regard, um, and and the product and the quality is great. And if you are are meshing that with a healthy and active lifestyle, yeah. okay, now, you know, now you've got something that that has all the, you know, has the balance overall that you're looking for and can fit into a budget as as well, right, which right, is. Right. You know, I think we, we've seen that a lot in our industry has, has changed. Even my clients have changed. I think your comp- competition has changed. Mm-hmm. You've got concepts that are out there that are winning big-time awards, you know, or chef-driven in high-concept places. Um, that doesn't always equate to, to success, Correct. Uh, yes. to, to financial success or business success. So one of the things that interests me, and, and particularly about what, what, what you're doing, is 
is the approach to restaurants and a, and a brand, but as a business. Absolutely. Uh, o- overall, and how you run and operate your your business. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that, because it's one thing to say, that tastes amazing, or I really like that, and it's another thing to say, okay, that's going to sell, you know? Right. And, or, or we need to turn this many covers a day, or this is how I control costs, but still deliver quality. And that's the stuff that I'm really passionate and interested about. Yeah. Uh, because I, as a consumer also, that makes everything taste better to me when I go in there. When I know who the operators are and the owners are and how they run their business and how they do it, that's just, that's just fascinating, inspiring stuff to me. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, think, you, I think you nailed it. Um, I think that's the biggest advantage that, that we have, that I have, um, and that's what's ultimately made us successful in a short amount of time is – you know, I never really spent a lot of time working in restaurants, so I didn't bring in a lot of this conventional wisdom or these, you know, these bad habits or you know whatever. Um, and so I always look at everything from from the lens of the the customer, from our guest, and then also as a business person. And so, you know, it's it's got it's got to really create those two things, right? Like you got to check those two boxes. Like, is the guest going to want this? How much are they willing to pay for it? What does the guest want? Are we delivering that? And then also, how can I make this fit within our parameters to make money on this and to be successful, to make the kitchen be able to produce this in under eight minutes and to execute on all these things, right? And so it's very, very difficult. And I think most people run restaurants like restaurants. I run my restaurants like a business. And, you know, we, we have brought people in at the beginning that, that uh, didn't agree with that. And they, they wanted to be more chefy and more artsy and this and that. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, that's not, that's not where we're going. We're not going to open 100 of these if that's what we're doing, right? Like, I've got it. I mean, we serve 1,000 people a day at, at, you know, both of our locations, I mean, separately um, in, in, you know, six, seven, eight hours. Like you, you got to be able to execute on on a menu that's consistent, that's that's delivering value to the guest. And if you can't do that, it's not going to make the menu. We're not going to do it, you know. And if I can't make money on it, I'm not going to do it, right? I don't care how cool it is. I don't care how many, you know. If it's not, if we're not, if it doesn't make sense for us financially, we're just not going to do it. And I think you see a lot of restaurants they don't pay enough attention. They negotiate bad leases. Uh, they don't have you know really business savvy people in their corner. And if they do, a lot of times they're sometimes taking advantage of those folks, right? Um, they don't pay enough attention to labor and cost of goods and, and you know, a lot of those things. And, and you just you have to just always constantly be on top of that. So, you know, running running it like a business has always been my thing. And anybody that comes in, I'm open to ideas. If you've been in the industry for 30 years, I'm open to – I know I can learn a lot from you. But don't tell me this is how we did it at the last restaurant because I, I don't really care um, and unless that restaurant is is one that I admire and look up to that's really knocking it out of the park. Um, you know, I just I don't the people that have come in that don't do well in our company are the ones that sort of bring in that mentality, that old school kitchen mentality, that old school restaurant mentality, uh, which is not a healthy type of thing and it's not sustainable. And that's why you see a lot of these restaurants that get all of this notoriety kind of collapse and fail. And, you know, you know, look, I want to open a hundred restaurants, not one, you know, and I, and I always tell people like, I want to be on the cover of Forbes, not Bon Appetit. That's not my, you know, 
you know, I'm trying to build a business here. I'm trying to build a brand. I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm, tr- I'm doing it through a channel that I'm passionate about, that a lot of people are passionate about. Everybody's got to, everybody's got to eat. Um, and to sort of wrap that part up, I think, you know, I think as Johnny Carava said, you know, uh, feed the masses, eat with the classes, feed the classes, eat with the masses. And so that's always been, you know, I, I, that's true. So that's good. That's really good. <laughs> it's very hard to make a lot of money and build a scalable business feeding a very small percentage of the population. And, you know, obviously those are, you know, look, the, the economy right now, especially in Houston, it's not, it's not great, right? Like things are, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of people kind of, you know, pulling back on a lot of things and you know, they're, they're, they're not going to the nicer restaurants as much as they used to or at all. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and people still got to eat. So where are they going? Right. And I think we're positioned very well where people that, that might go out, might trade down to us. And then we're still sort of in that, that realm where, the average person can go there two or three times a week. You got people who can kind of trade up from fast food to us as well. So we're, we're positioned, I think, very well to sort of weather the storm and, and economic uncertainty and things like that. And we can adjust our, our model, too, to, to sort of, you know, absorb some of those issues that, that the, the other restaurants can't. No, I, th- I think you're, again, I think it's it's really, really astute. I mean, we see it and I see it with, with my clients, especially in a down economy or a softer market where the higher end establishments, even the, the very best of the best. Yeah. But if the, if the opportunities to spend $200 on a lunch or, or big client expense dinners, you know, aren't there, what... What we're seeing, what's been very interesting, and you look at the numbers, you know, some that are public or some that we're privy to and right. based on report and all of the other things that are out there, what you start to see is these 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 concepts that are kind of in the middle. They're hip and they're cool, but they're cost effective and there's quality there and there's real value there that in certainly in these times, that gives people, the, the consumer, the feeling that they're not really trading down. Right. They're just getting a better value. Yeah. They're just getting a better value. They can still feel good about themselves, still feel cool. They don't need to go here, you know, and, and button it all up and spend extra money and everything else. And then even the category slightly below that, those folks, they can always step up into that exactly. and say, okay. So it's a it's a great spot. And I think that, that because of that, you know, we're seeing a lot of growth in the category overall. Oh, for sure. And there's, yeah. and there's, plenty of, of, of room there and yeah. we're seeing it in all different types of cuisine now that I don't think Houston has seen before. Well, and I think too, if you look at it for the first time in, in a while, the, the parity between sort of grocery store prices and food price, eating out, it's, it's, it's the highest that it's been. I mean, there, there's, there's, you know, I don't, I don't know how much you guys cook or whatever, but I mean, look, if you, if, if you and your wife are going to make dinner for your family, it's not that much cheaper or I mean it's about the same as going out to eat now. And so that's that's that hasn't always been the case. And so I think right now you're seeing uh, grocery stores they're they're stepping up their game and they're putting restaurants inside grocery stores and they're doing more prepackaged more stuff to go because you know look who wants to spend an hour and a half cooking and cleaning up a kitchen when you could have just done Uber Eats or DoorDash or gone to a restaurant and done the same thing you know it, I'm I'm chuckling now uh, because it's like you're in my house okay <laughs> because 
married to a, a fellow foodie yeah. who, who loves to cook. Yeah. Okay, two boys, ten and thirteen. Yeah. Okay, I'm working constantly. Yeah. And also, and it's exactly, it's exactly that conversation. Um, wife loves to shop, so whether it's Central Market, whether it's multi, it could be multiple stores in a day. And yeah. by the time you do the overall analysis, it's not um, worth it. Um, she may beg to differ a little bit. I'm of the mindset that if they don't see her at Central Market for a day or two, they'll put out an APB. You know, they're going to wonder <laughs> wonder where she is. But but your point is is valid if you think about the time. Okay, I don't want to necessarily do dishes at the end of a 19 hour day right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in there too, and maybe I'm pushing the 19 hour day. But you know, again, when you look at value and you say, okay, if I'm going to go buy this piece of meat that I have to cook and I'm going to go buy it at this particular grocery store and then I'm going to buy these sides and then I'm going to do the, the economy of scale isn't necessarily there right. versus going to a place or having it now delivered. And I want to touch on that a little bit with you too. Yeah. Having quality delivered, which is new to Houston. Game changer. Total game changer. Um, and for me coming from New York where literally you could get anything delivered yeah, in 20 minutes okay, at, norm, at yeah. any hour of the day, yeah. it's a total game changer right now um i think you've got to pay attention to that which is which is okay i can be more efficient maybe more effective in my lifestyle i can still really eat well and i can keep local businesses you know thriving you know right now and now if somebody's willing to bring that to me on top of it we've got something pretty pretty special now that we did not have before it's a game changer and i'll tell you like when i you know writing the business plan for this and and even a year and a half ago this is not something that was ever baked into our plan and it just almost came out of nowhere out of thin air right and um we adopted uh these programs and we were really a lot first movers with a lot of these guys that came into houston uber eats and doordash and favor and a lot of these folks and postmates and all the amazon and, and we've been very successful with them. And, I, you know, a majority of our year-over-year sales growth has come because of that. Um, and so it, it, it changed the economic model a little bit because those, those companies do take a, a pretty large cut of, of what, what you're delivering. Um, but look, at the same time, a majority of that revenue is incremental because we're reaching markets and people that we might not have um, – you know, otherwise reached, right? And we're exposing our brand to folks that might not otherwise have seen us had they not been flipping through, right? And and without being on those services, you're you're sort of you, you're it's 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 dangerous right now. I mean, I think really that's the future of of where things are going in general, convenience and just like I said before about the parody of cooking and, and eating and grocery shopping and things like that. There's it's just too easy right now. To do this, and and I just I think that, that that's really the the like you got to pay attention to it. You just have to. So you talk about paying attention to it, and you, and you got to. And now you've got X number of t- hours in a day. Okay, right. how much time do you spend? Okay, now we're paying attention to to the to the food. Mm-hmm. Okay, to the staffing, to new endeavors. You know, like do we let me run the numbers on should be Uber yeah. Eats, should be Amazon, should, and finding other locations. I mean, who have you surrounded yourself with? I mean, are you at the point where, okay, I got a guy in the kitchen right now, okay, and he just knows me, you know, yeah. and you're not 
taste in every single thing anymore, you know, because you're looking at real estate or saying, look, yeah. I want to put it in a bag and deliver it to West U yeah. because now all of a sudden I can get food, okay, to this right. zip code. Yeah. And I could never do that before. Right. And, that, and that, all of a sudden, my rent just got, got yeah. cheaper, exactly. you know, because, exactly. you know. Yeah. So how how are you divide how are you, how are you dividing up your time and delegating and kind of kind of managing the business? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great question. So, um, you know, because I've always run this like a business, and because I've always run this like a, a business that's going to have ten locations in a few years, that's going to have a hundred locations eventually. That's always been in my in my head, so that I've always made decisions based on that. I've never made decisions based on oh, we're one restaurant or we're two restaurants or we're you know whatever. Um, so I sort of over hire. I always I always try to build my bench of people um, to set us up for success. And um, you know my partner, my director of operations is a former. He's a fraternity brother of mine at UT, an undergrad, and sort of uh, he was in the engineering world and just decided that wasn't for him and he got into restaurants and he was ended up being a director of operations for Chick-fil-A and he traveled all over the country opening 30, 40 Chick-fil-A's um, was very successful with them um, and so anyway I, I ended up recruiting him to join me and sort of he's the day-to-day guy I mean he's he oversees sort of all all store level operations um, so he's sort of my right hand man he, he sort of manages and, and runs the show on that and is far more capable of doing those things than, than I would ever be. Um, because I didn't have that experience, I knew that that was going to be a key hire, a key person. So that was the first person that I went after. Um, from a kitchen perspective, man, we, we went through chefs. We went through uh, three chefs in three years, essentially, which I think is actually pretty good relative to the market and other, uh, other industries. Um, and you know we're we're to the point now where we don't really we don't really need um, a chef per se. We we've honed in on our menu. We're not changing it as much as we used to. We know it works. Um, now we do change seasonally, but most of that's like vegetables and just different things that are growing at different times of the year. But we couple that with sort of existing things on our menu, right? So we're, we're not drastically changing much. We might change desserts and soups and things like that to fit the season, right? But it's not it's not rocket science, right? Um, and we're always trying to hone in and, and 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 look at our menu. So we've got a great team of folks who are sort of keeping an eye on that. We've also changed the model of, of the GM and the AGM that we hire at a store level to have at least a little bit of culinary experience so that they can go work in the kitchen if, if, if we get a little bit of a rush that we weren't anticipating. Um, or they, they, they know that if the salmon looks like that, you know, the, the pan was too hot or whatever, like they can diagnose food problems. Um, and so we've sort of changed on um, hiring more of like multifaceted, more, you know, uh, versatile type of, of leaders in the restaurant. Um, and we've just increased the caliber of the folks that we've been able to hire. And when you do that, you just worry about less, you know, fewer things, right? And then they're, they're good at delegating. Um, so I spend uh, time, I, I do get approached by a lot of real estate folks and and, and sort of going through those deals and looking at those and what makes sense for us, um, you know, financials, quarterly reports for our, excuse me, our investors, um, looking at our financials, meeting with our team. Um, I have a uh, we have a leadership coach that works with all of our top leaders one on one. So meeting with him, getting progress reports on sort of my guys and my team and how they're doing. Um, recently, I spent a lot of time recruiting. Um, 
top top managers because you know we're going to open our third store in July and then we're going to open another store in 2018 and I sort of have to you know we we got to start thinking now I want new managers that are going to come in to to have worked in our system for three four five six months before they're sort of on their own Mm -hmm. Um, so we're sort of building our bench right now so I've been spending a ton of time just recruiting on that Um, and, and spending time in the store I just I always taste things. Every time I walk into the restaurant, I grab 10 spoons and I go back there and I taste everything. Um, especially if there's some newer people and things like that, you know, sometimes they might make the grits in the wrong order and they just taste a little bit different, same ingredients, but if they don't do it in the right order, then, mm-hmm. then, you know, you can tell. So there's a lot of things that I'm still very, very much hands on in. Um, our Katie store is, is a store that we are sort of, uh, transitioning some leadership out and in right now. Uh, we're, we're kind of, um, revamping that store. And so I've been spending a lot more time out at our Katie store. Just my presence, I think was, is more necessary out there. And, uh, so it just, it just depends, but I've got really good people. I surround myself with really good people. Um, you know, good attorneys, good, uh, business people, mentors, investors, folks that I can call and, and rely on, uh, real estate folks and just, you know, other entrepreneurs that I love, like yourself, I love to talk shop with and just, you know, so a lot of my friends from business school don't have the same problems or run into the same things that I do. So it's, it's, it's good to talk to folks that can relate and they know, and they have lots of employees or they have, you know, those same types of issues. Yeah. I think it's, I've always said it's, it's a pretty small and exclusive club yeah. of, of those that have taken the plunge and said, okay, I'm going to go take the risk. I'm going to jump off, you know, mm-hmm. diving board into the deep end of the pool and let's just see what happens because yeah. there, there are a lot of easier ways. We, okay. We all know there are yeah, there yeah. are a lot of easier ways, um, and the difference between success and failure for an entrepreneur is is minuscule. I mean, and, and anyone that's truly yeah. kind of the entrepreneur, they'll fail and they'll keep coming back and they'll find another right. idea and they'll keep going and they'll keep right. going. But that's that's just it. We'll talk to guys that are super successful, you know, yeah. one day with one business and one concept, and then the next one not so much. But you just know they're going to figure it out, right. you know, and come right. back with, with something something else. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was in the sort of on the other side of this, more on the investment side, you know, you you always the you know VCs and investors they always, they're betting on the on the on the team, on the man, on the entrepreneur, whatever it is. The, the idea kind of is almost secondary, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know you get the right person, they're going to make it something work, right? Uh, so you see a lot of that, and um, you know I, I think that's incredibly important. To, it's, well. it's the same on, on the flip side as you know the ones that talk about it, but timing is never going to be right. Yeah, you know? they're yeah. just they're not going to leave the paycheck, oh, the, the benefits package, the oh. the desk or the office. They're just not going to, and the timing's never going to be right. And that's cool too. Yeah, but okay. And, <laughs> and then you know I I talk to. Uh, I go back and speak to some of my uh, McCombs classes and entrepreneur classes and stuff. You know, the professors will ask me to come back and, and speak to the class or whatever. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, you know, everybody in this class thinks they're going to start a business. You all want to, right? You all came in here thinking, oh, I'm going to start a business. Uh, you get a $50,000 signing bonus and you're going to make $200,000 next year with four weeks vacation, you know, and they're going to pay off your student loan debt. How are you going to walk away from that? Sure. Right? And I mean, I did. Uh, but, you know... Are you? Are you gonna? Are you gonna miss your buddy's wedding and his bachelor party because you can't afford it, and because you're not gonna fly out to Napa and you're not gonna do this and you're not gonna do that? 
Are you willing to do those things, right? And I think the definition and, and the, the difference, it's minuscule, but it's that ability to to say no to certain things and give up certain things and make sacrifices and compromises. And if you're not willing to do that, you're never going to be, you're never going to make it. And uh, I just finished a great book uh, from Seth Godin on, it's called The Dip. And, uh, you know, it talks about, and you can apply it to anything, right? And in the business world, the entrepreneurial world, when people are starting businesses in general, they get a little bit of beginner's luck. Things are cool. People are like, oh, that's great. You know, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're, you're getting all this stuff. You might get a couple of investors, whatever. And then you start to kind of come down, right? And then you're not building as much traction. Things get a little stale. Uh, your your friends and family are asking you, hey, I mean, what's going on? I thought you were doing this. Well, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought. Blah, blah. You sort of hit this dip, right? And, and, and the dip comes right before a huge, you know, upswing. And the difference, he says, is that the people that are successful lean into the dip. The people who don't lean into the dip basically jump out, and that's where they quit, you know? And I think it's, it's true. It's, he said it's, you know, it's the 16th mile in a marathon, right? There's no more crowds. There's nobody cheering you on. You can't see the finish line. You're sort of in this, like, man, I could just quit right now. You, that, and that's what he equates it to. And, and you know, the, the successful people push through and finish the race. Mm-hmm. And they sort of the average people just bail, you know. Yeah. You know, we have the kind of the saying of embrace the suck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah big. <laughs> whether it's a CrossFit saying or just, good. Kind of the, like just em- yeah. embrace the suck because that's what it's at, and yeah. it doesn't matter whether it's business or, or whatever business Anything. you're in, you yeah. know, or or the marathon or the triathlon or, or whatever it is. Um, and now I'm going to go out and get that book um, and add it to awesome. the, and add it to the stack of books that you know. I always want to ask people also. I'm gonna, what, what's on the bedside, you know, table? Okay. Uh, my wife, I've got 20 books on my, on my, on my nightstand right now. And she hates it. I, she's Amazon packages every day for <laughs> books. I mean, I'm, I'm just all over it. I, I probably read, I say two or three books a month and, uh, we have a book club with our leadership team, the restaurant. So we do sort of a sign reading and, and mm-hmm. it's all like sort of leadership and coaching books and, and culture books and employee engagement books and things like that. And, uh, and then we'll sit down and discuss them and things like that. So there's a lot of really good stuff out there, and uh, that's one that I just finished, and, and I really, really uh, liked it. So it's good. Nice. Okay. Um, let's a little bit here about your, your day, okay? Do you have a daily kind of routine? Okay? Do you have a way you start your day? You know, again, I'm a fascinated, you know, reader, you know, of mm-hmm. and, and now it's, you know, the – Tim Ferriss's new book, you know, yeah. the tools, tools and, of the times, yeah. okay, or what's your daily mantra? Or what's your daily routine? And some guys wake up and they immediately check their email and other people say, I wake up and I'll never check my email before this hour or I'll do this. Do you have a day, like a, a routine that you go through? I am, um, it's funny cause it's kind of weird. I, as much as I like routine, I sort of avoid it. Um, I don't really have a routine. I try to work out first thing in the morning because if I don't, I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to go at five or six or eight o'clock at night. I'm not going to go during lunch. I'm just not. I just I just don't do it. My body doesn't work that way. So I, I typically I wake up um, and I'll just go to the gym. And then while I'm at the gym, I'm usually checking emails, um, checking the reports from the previous day, you know, things like that. Um, just social media, just, just catching up. And I just kind of get that all out of my system before I start my day. Um, then I'll usually go eat breakfast at the restaurant a lot of times with my wife and my son. Um, and then it's just depending on the day, you know, certain days that I'm out in Katy, 
you know, I'm driving 30 minutes out there and I try to get there a little bit earlier uh, and I stay a little bit later. Um, you know, if I've got meetings around town, I'm doing that. And I sort of just plan my day around those things. I try to leave certain days of the week just completely open for just myself. Um, I rent like temporary offices through Regis and wherever just so I can sit down and have a quiet place to work without any distractions. I can't ever get anything done at the restaurant. We have an office, but it's occupied by sort of our HR team. And uh, so I, I don't really get I'm always getting asked questions or getting pulled out. So and I can't work from home because of, you know, kids and toys and TV shows on and all that stuff. So I'll just go rent a temporary office and I'll just park it there for a day, put my headphones in and just try to knock out a bunch of stuff and usually that's on a Thursday or a Wednesday and then the rest of the time I'm, I'm sort of present in the store or meeting um, I do a lot of work at night after my son goes to bed you know I try to get home around 7 so that I can have dinner with uh, you know I have dinner every night with my family uh, you know do some puzzles or whatever my son wants to do play around with them give him a bath put him to bed and then sort of you know maybe lay on the couch with my wife and watch a show or something and then you know probably do two hours of work you know from 10 to 12 or something like that um and you know look i've got cameras on my i can check cameras on the restaurants and numbers up to the second you know on what we're doing and how we're doing so i'm kind of constantly plugged in and engaged on all those things so i'm I'm sort of always aware of what's going on i've got all the notifications of this and that whatever happens so um, I'm always pretty aware and engaged with what's going on. I like to meet with my team, uh, take some of my junior members out to lunch every now and then and, and just get a pulse on what they're doing uh, and how they're feeling and what, and what I can do for them and you know what they like, what they don't like, things like that. So I try not to really plan anything. I try to leave myself open. Now I've got to do certain you know financial things and I've got to do certain reporting things. Right now we're going through our fundraise for the next two stores, so I'm putting together the investor package for that. Um, I'm, I'm reading the second draft of the lease for our fourth store. You know, that's 65 pages of, of, of fun. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of those things that if I don't lock myself in a room and do it, it'll just drags on and drags on and it's just hard to get done. Right. And so you got to think about marketing. We're doing events. Um, there's just a lot of stuff sort of coming up, but you know, I think a year ago or a year and a half ago, I would have been really spread thin, right? But now we've got a, a, a HR director. We got over 100 employees, so you know, you, you've got, and we're about to we're going to double that in 18 months. Um, it's got an HR director. I got a training person. I got my ops guy. I got really good managers at each level. We got a catering and events person now that. Mm-hmm you know, goes to these events and deals with these charities and all of these things. And, and that used to be me. So I'm, 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 I'm kind of getting stuff off of my plate so I can focus on, you know, bigger picture, more strategic stuff. So, and that's where you want to be. I exactly. Mean, cause, cause uh, you know, sometimes they get the other answer, which is, wow, you know, all this stuff that I love doing, yeah. you know, now I don't get to do, you yeah. know, or how do I get myself back into those areas that I love doing? And it sounds like, like you've positioned yourself really well to, to be able to do the things that you want to do within the business that you're, that you're in. And yeah, and I, I look at it like, where am I going to add the most value? It's not, and not, it's not really at the restaurant, right? I don't add the most value. I add the most value when I'm growing the business. And I can only do that when I'm looking at it from various angles uh, and studying it and studying the industry and other brands and what other people are doing and what, other, what, what really cool brands are doing in other markets and seeing does any of that translate to us? Can we take some cues from that? Can we do that? Um, working on my myself, my leadership development. You know, when I started this, I was, I was, a, I was a terrible leader. Like I wasn't the guy that was going to take this to the next level. And I, 
I sort of, once I realized that, I started to really invest in myself and bring on a coach and do all those things to, to really turn this around because you know, ultimately the culture is a reflection of the leader and the culture wasn't where I wanted to be and I realized the culture sucks because I suck and so, so I had to really spend a lot of time investing in myself to turn it around because I knew that was the only way that we were going to get to where we where I wanted us to be. So, you know, look, that's... I mean, that's super transparent, you know, um, and to be able to kind of take a look, you know, take a look at yourself and say, okay, what am I, what do I think I'm doing well? Or, or more importantly, what do I think I'm not doing, right. doing so well? Um, and, 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 and timely as well. You, know, you talk about that, that dip, um, you're similar. I'm three years into this gym that I opened mm-hmm. also. Um, you know, and my goal with this was let's bring rowing to the masses. You know, yeah. we opened row studios thinking, okay, um, much I think like your thought process with, with Dish was there's a void in the market. Let's take a look at what's going on with spinning and, and soul cycle and flywheel and, and CrossFit and boutique exercise yeah. classes on, on both coasts and even around and, and where where is this in Houston, you know, right. if, if you will, and what could we do? Um, and you get three years into it and you look at, okay, um, you know, leadership, you know, how much time can I spend there um, with my other business, you know, right. that takes care of my family and takes yeah. care of clients and, yeah. and people in your industry. Uh, am I being a good leader? Am yeah. I being an absent leader? Um, is the culture representative of the demographic that, that we wanted to get when, right. we, when we set out, you know, yeah. in there? Um, and around that similar time period you were talking about with this, you, you kind of come out real hot. Yeah. You know, everybody's yeah. going to give you a shot. They're yeah. going to yeah. try your meal. You know, they're going to try our workout. And then after you're the flavor of the, of the week, yeah. you're the new guy on the block, what are you doing to keep them right. you know, in there? Yeah. What are you doing to stay relevant and, and keeping them? And how are you hiring and building the team? And can I walk in, get a good workout, really be happy with the staff and walk out and be like, okay, we got this. Yeah. And if we didn't, you know, if I don't feel that way, is that a reflection on me? Yeah. It certainly is. And what am I doing and how can I hire well also and empower and lead well? Yeah. So that that's the experience I would get not only as an Absolutely. owner, but a, but a consumer. Yeah. So, so let me ask you that. Can you relax at your own restaurant? And most of the guys <laughs> that I know, they say, look... If we're going out as friends also, and a lot of my clients are friends, and they've got great restaurants, and I love them, yeah. okay? But when we talk about going out as couples or anything else, they're like, we're not meeting at one of my places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because uh, yeah. Some, you need a little distance sometimes. Absolutely. Or you don't want to look at the light bulb that's burnt out oh, or man. this person that yeah. made. Yeah. No, you're, you're, that's, that's it. I, I, uh, I think for me, look, I eat at my restaurants every day. Breakfast, every day breakfast. Half of the time it's lunch, and then the, then the, there's several nights a week where I just bring something home for dinner, right, for for the family. Um, but yeah, if if my my friends want to go out or they want to do anything, like I don't, I try to avoid the restaurant. I've got family coming in town, and they want to go brunch on Sunday before church. I'm like, uh, you know. It's really chaotic. It's really hectic. It's hard for me to sit down and, and be engaged with my family or my friends when, you know, I see food sitting in the window a little bit longer than it should or that ticket's turning red or, you know, this person's, you know, the line's getting long. We need to open another register or the phone's ringing four times instead of two times, whatever. Like, I mean, it's just music's not loud enough. The light's not, you know, I see that straw wrapper 20 feet away on the ground. Who's going to pick it up? Like, it's, it's very hard for me to turn that off. Now I will say when I go into other restaurants, I sort of look at the same stuff too. It doesn't stress me out, but I'm, I'm, I see everything, right? Yeah, it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> right. It's somebody else's problem, but I'm, I'm trying to learn and I'm trying to see how they have their kitchen set up. How do they staff? Mm-hmm. How many people do they have on staff right now? How do they, 
always have the bar set up, all those things. I'm always paying attention to all of that stuff. And, uh, that's it's, research. <laughs> it is. And my wife hates it. Uh, I've gotten a lot better, but you know, I'd be the guy like looking under the plate. Ooh, what kind of plate is this? You know, what, this silverware is nice. You know, who made this table, you know, and asking questions. And she's like, you can't like, I can't even enjoy going out to eat with you. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a lot better now. I love going to other restaurants. There's really great restaurants in Houston. There's a ton of, and I, and I know just through being involved in, in the restaurant association and being on the board of certain things and, and just through opening a restaurant, I've met a lot of these folks and it's amazing. Uh, to, I love to surround myself with other restaurant owners and, and try their restaurants and, and do that stuff. And it's, it's, it's really, it's awesome. And I've gotten a lot better at sort of enjoying that experience. I mean, one of the things that we do, uh, we offer our managers dining allotments so that, you know, they can go try other restaurants. So we'll reimburse them if they go check out whatever the new, you know, hot restaurant is or, or anything. I mean, they could go anywhere. It's not like Taco Bell or anything, but I mean, if they got to go to a, a relevant restaurant, um, we'll reimburse them for it, you know? And uh, they just got to tell us, they got to fill out a little form that says, you know, here's what I learned. This is what I observed. I thought maybe that, you know, they use this system and I think we could apply a dish and, you know, or whatever. Um, and and so but it gets them out of the restaurant too mm-hmm. and it's it's a nice little perk so i always encourage getting out of the restaurant because you it just sort of it sort of resets your your mind it resets your your vision of things completely you know i try to always even push my team here get out get out of ins group okay or get out of row mm-hmm. go take classes at other yeah. studios around town or go not only see your clients but go see other people in the industry or right. just be out and around because you're not going to meet anybody here sitting at your desk right yeah. and you're not going to see how they operate their business yeah. and you're not going to learn what keeps them up at night mm-hmm. you know uh, or you're not going to get that story of how many years they they toiled to get where they are yeah. and what yeah. they really are looking for uh from somebody to help them protect it. Yeah. Also. Yeah, and and absolutely. do you want to do business with people? When I go in, uh, I'm not in the direct restaurant business like you are as far as an owner and operator, but I grew up working and I always said bartending and, and being a host and being a waiter like some of the best jobs I ever right, had. Right. But but being being directly involved in your industry, going in and trying different places and being around and looking at quality control and looking at the way they staff and seeing, is that kitchen clean Mm -hmm. over there? Who do you want to represent? Right, right. Because time is valuable also. Who do you want to be in business with and who do you think is going to grow and who can you grow, you know, with? And 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 provide provide value. And winners winners want to be around other winners, right? So, you know, you're only as good as sort of your your clients and, you know, the company that you keep. And that's been the big, I think, change for us too is, you know, when we were bringing in uh, high caliber people at the beginning, first of all, when we started out, we couldn't really attract like really top people because no one had heard of us. Like I had not, I had only lived in Houston for, I didn't know anybody. I wasn't, I didn't work at three other restaurants and I can't just like assemble a team. Right. So it was, it was between me, my partner and our original chef. We were all from Austin and we all moved down there and my partner and my chef moved down there like three or four months before we opened. So I mean, we opened with 28 staff and we needed like 50 and, uh, and it was a bunch of like C team, you know, it just wasn't like the top of the, you know, (laughs) it was was rough. Okay. And, um, it was a good, it was a good lesson, but you know, look, really great people 
tend to enjoy where they're working and they tend to be successful there. You know, look, Tom Brady's not going to go be the quarterback for the Browns, right? Like, you know, he wants to win, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get A players want to work with other A players, you know? But you talk about developing new talent and getting a deeper bench. You have to. Brady doesn't get a shot until Bledsoe goes down. Right, right. Exactly. Um, And if you want to go from three to four to five, developing that talent um, is huge. Huge. It's huge, you know, and making that capital investment and sometimes, you know, overstaffed, you know, for a while. But if the end game is to have more, you know, this stuff, this plays out, you know, in in the end there too. Um, And I really like your point about getting people more kind of well-versed in the overall operation, you know, front of house, back of house Mm -hmm. uh, in there too. Because I think that's largely overlooked. I think we're living in this kind of world right now of specialization, you know? Yeah. Um, Whether it's kids' sports, they play one sport, you know, right now. Or Or one position in that sport. And even even that. Yeah. I mean, how do you tell a a 10-year-old that he gets one position in one sport, you know? And then that's where he's going to stay and expect it to click and and be successful no matter what. Uh, But we're doing it in in, we're seeing it in a lot of businesses as well. And I'm thinking... Would I rather have a generalist in a lot of areas? I mean, there's certain things that need to have, have specialties, no sure. doubt, but somebody that's well-versed in in multiple areas of a business or an industry and can see the bigger picture and, and be and be relatable. I think it's a, it's an interesting evaluation in what roles yeah. can be handled by, by specialists and what people need to, hey, I got to see it all. I'd rather be really good at a lot of things than being great at just just one. Well, I mean, I think there's two schools of thought on that. I think like for us, it's funny. We actually call our entry level position. They're generalists. So we bring you in and we train you on everything. And then we see sort of where you naturally gravitate towards where maybe you were the strongest. If, if you're really excellent with the guest, right? Like we're going to put you at more of a guest facing position, things like that. So, so we'll evaluate you. We'll see where you want to be. And then we offer the opportunity for you to become a specialist in certain positions. So if you really gravitate towards our coffee program, right, you can become a barista specialist and you can learn coffee. And now you make more money once you sort of earn that specialist certification. Um, now you can earn all of the front of house. It's like, you know, Boy Scouts. I mean, you can earn your badges for, for all of the different positions. And once you do that, now you become a certified trainer. So then when we have a, a new uh, team member come on board, you, they match up with you because you can train them in all of these positions. And once you've done that, you can become a lead, right? So now you can lead, you can be a front of house lead or a back of house lead or whatever. Um, so it's extremely important for us to have everybody to have a, a well-rounded sort of experience and in, in, in vision and understanding of how everything works, right? So maybe you work dish pit for one or two days. You're not the best dishwasher we're ever going to have, but you you understand enough mm-hmm. and you understand the importance of the dishwasher. And now you're going to treat them with a little bit more respect because she's done the job. Um, and you understand how it works, right? You understand it's a lot easier if you scrape the plates before you give it to the dishwasher and that you separate the forks and the plates and whatever. Um, so that helps, right? We're not asking people to be to be great or even really good at a lot of stuff. We're saying you need to understand it. You need to be knowledgeable enough, right? If, if the shit hits the fan and we're down a line cook, you need to be able to go back there and make like 12 salads during lunch, you know, just enough to like get us through the, those three or four really complicated tickets or whatever. Right. Um, so that's, that's sort of our approach with it. And, and if somebody is really good at something, I want them to like really be good at that and not necessarily take on things that 
deter from that, right? Um, like myself, like I'm not, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. I don't even try to do them. I don't even try to get better at them. I just hire people who are really good at them and I just get out of their way. And I focus on the things that I'm really good at because that's where I add the, add the most value to the company and, and I don't try to do everything because I've, I've done that before and it just doesn't work. It's, it's everyone loses when, when you try to do that. So, um, but it's, it's, it's important to have, I think, well-versed, you know, knowledge and, and things like that coming into it. And then you sort of, you sort of specialize and you relate it to sports. If you pay like five or six different positions, you're going to be better at one or two of them than you are at the others. You're just probably going to naturally gravitate towards that position. And ultimately that's probably the position you're going to play through high school, college, whatever. So happens a little more, more organically than when you force it. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what sets you off? Like what, what are the, what's the pet peeve? What sets you off? Um, I would say a lack of accountability, like somebody who's just cutting corners and lazy. You know, uh, when we when we started, we didn't have systems. We didn't have checklists. There was just like it was a free for all. Right. And so it was hard to hold people accountable because I never really trained you properly and I never really gave you the tools to be successful. So it's, it's hard for me to get mad at you for failing at, at this job or at this position, whatever. We've sent, spent a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of time putting systems in place that prevent 99% of our problems. And when somebody just chooses not, and, and, and we've gotten to the point where if it's not done, you just chose not to do it because we've set it up to where it's super easy. You have everything you need. So if it doesn't get done, you're, you're, you're choosing not to do it. And that's what sets me off when somebody just chooses not to do something just because they think they can get away with it. And, and that's probably the most frustrating is just the lack, I think, of account, personal accountability on a lot of things and people just not owning their mistakes, making excuses, blaming other people. Like I just, I have zero tolerance for that. So that's, that's probably the biggest thing. And on the upside, what, what, uh, what excites you most of all now for the future, for the brand, for yourself personally? I love what we've done uh, from a human capital perspective. The team, the culture that we've built, like, I, I mean, I got to tell you, like, when we, first year we were open, I would walk into the restaurant and I, and I kind of like hated everybody that worked for me. And it was very discouraging to know that, like, these people are the face of my brand and they're going to dictate my success to some degree. And, and it's, it was hard. I can't fire everybody and start over. Um, but I just, I hated it. It was toxic. I just didn't, I wasn't a good leader. I wasn't having, didn't have good people. We had a really bad culture. And then I, I think once we turned the corner on all that, now it's like we have very little turnover. You know, we have people that come in and, and everybody hugs each other and high fives and they're hanging out outside of work. And we have people that have been with us for a really long time. Um, watching people develop. I, I love bringing on sort of the shy hostess or the cashier. And now she's running expo during brunch, you know, the command and quarterback, you know, and like, I love that. I just, I love seeing people. I love seeing, I, I love getting the, the best out of people. And sometimes that means stretching them beyond where they thought that they could go, but, but you see the potential. And so that to me is, is, is thrilling. It's just super exciting to, to watch that all happen. Let me I ask do you think your customers noticed what you were feeling or do you think they saw it the way that you did? If you felt that it was toxic and you didn't really like a lot of the people that were there and you needed the, the seismic shift to be to be yeah. made, do you think they noticed it? Absolutely. Think, okay. Absolutely. Because, you know, everything everything is contagious and it all transfers over, right? So if, if I walk in and I'm tense and I have a bad attitude, 
my staff's going to pick up on that. And then they're going to get kind of tense and they're going to have a bad attitude. Right. And then that's going to transfer to the guest. Right. And so, you know, look, we have an open kitchen. We have an open space. You can't, there's nowhere to hide, right? You can't go in the back and scream because like everyone can hear you and everyone can see you. So, um, you know, and, and when you sit at a restaurant, if you're sitting at the bar, you can see the kitchen, you see the bartenders, you can hear the manager, you can hear the conversations. People feed off, feed off of the energy. So if I'm not in a good mood or if I'm, something's really bothering me, whether it's restaurant related or not, I just won't go into the restaurant. I just, I don't want to set a, a negative tone, especially if they're humming and clicking and stuff. I just don't want to get in their way. I don't want to slow them down. I think there's no, uh, it's no accident that once we sort of turn the corner, replaced our entire management team sort of got rid of sort of the cancers and the culture. I started to work on myself and I started working with a leadership development coach and I started being totally open and transparent to my team about how I can get better and apologizing to them and all that stuff. There's no, there's no coincidence that that's where we turn the coin. I mean, sales, I mean, our, our sales are up like year over year over year. I mean, it's just double digits. All it's just, it's crazy. Um, the attitude, the culture, the people care more now that we have because we have that culture and we're building more accountability. You don't have to worry as much about you know, crappy food going out to the guests because so-and-so didn't like feel like scrambling the eggs enough or like adding this ingredient that's essential because they just was one extra step, right? You don't have to worry about that as much. And so, you know, it puts me in a better mood, puts everyone else in a better mood. Uh, the customer gets a more consistent quality product. I think like if, you know, as a customer, right. And as I'm a customer, if I walk into a a restaurant or any business retail or whatever, your insurance company, whatever. And like people aren't happy and people are just kind of like, you know, like that's like a big, that's a turnoff. I don't really care how good the food is. Like if it's just a, if it's just like a drag to go into the place, like I'm just not going to do it, you know? Well, of course. I mean, because all of a sudden you've already got a bad taste in your mouth. Exactly. No, no, no pun intended. And nothing they could really bring out of that kitchen right. is going to trump okay everything that you're you're sitting amongst. You know, right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if it's if it's not fun, you know, we're we're, we're done. You yeah. know, that's kind of yeah. you know what we what we tend to say. And and business isn't always fun per se, but you've got to enjoy what you do. Yeah, I think and who you do it with and, and where you do it because we have choices. Yeah, everybody's got choices. So. And then on that, like our our saying is believe or leave. Like you're either you're either all in on this or you're not. And you, if you're not, you're out. Like that's it. And I I love that we've gotten to the point where our team essentially will vote someone off the island that doesn't fit in with the culture you know every now and then we'll make a hiring mistake right like somebody interviews well they stage well whatever they come in and then not really what we thought and the team kind of will dictate if they stay or not you know and that's awesome that's like one of the greatest things you can see as a leader is having your team holding each other accountable and say, hey, this person's not going to fit. They're not good with the culture. This, they're just is not going to work, you know. And and I will, I will trust their, you know, observations over anything else, over my own, even sometimes. And so, um, and then us, us being able to do that gives gives more credibility, and 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 they buy in even more, you know, when those decisions happen. So it's it's critical. Believe or leave, I like it. The Greg Shaman Podcast is presented by Inns Group. Inns Group Insurance and Risk Management. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, go to innsgroup.net. And also by Rose Studios. Endurance, strength, and mobility equals perfect fitness. For more information, visit rosestudios.com.